Welcome back to another edition of Boilers Extra. This is a breakfast edition, sort of, with some uh, Mary Lou donuts on election morning. I feel like we're doing this wrong. We every every episode we name drop some other place where we're getting food from, but yet we still have not lined up a sponsorship from literally anybody. Well, just keep name dropping. I do like the idea of Mary Lou donuts jumping on board. And- oh, that would be a great. And I know the new Mary Lou, so maybe uh, <laughs> <laughs> the new Mary Lou, yeah, Walt, Jeff Walt. <laughs> so uh, maybe uh, maybe he could uh, uh, jump jump on board and and uh, and provide some uh, some uh, content for us. Would well, be a, a welcome addition as we head into another busy week of, of Purdue sports and. Uh, this is the first week where we officially have the overlap of the regular seasons between men's basketball and football. Obviously, football coming off of a win over Iowa and going into a game at Minnesota on Saturday, trying to get that, that sixth win and be bowl eligible and stay relevant in this Big Ten West possibilities that they have, although they're going to need some help there. And then as we're recording this Tuesday morning, Purdue basketball opens tonight against Fairfield and plays Ball State on Saturday after the football game. So those of you who were watching the football game on ESPN2, you can just switch over to BTN after that and watch basketball against Ball State in state clash there. And we're going to be talking to Ryan O'Gara from the Muncie Star Press who covers Ball State and giving us some some scoop on them and and letting us know, you know, what to look for when those teams meet on Saturday. But I thought we'd just start and talk a little bit about not just tonight's game, but really kind of the start of the basketball season, which is um, still sort of a, a not not a, a rebuilding year by any means for Purdue, but these early games I think kind of are a, a time of transition for this team because, the, as I've said in multiple interviews I think before, you know the pieces seem to be here for something interesting. They just don't yet know exactly how it's all going to fit together yet. Yeah, and these you've got uh, the Fairfield game, the Ball State game, uh, and then you're headed down to South Carolina after Charleston that. Classic. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so where I think they'll get a probably a better indication of where this team stands uh, playing uh, those opponents. They have Davidson. In yeah, they start games? with Appalachian State, App- okay. and then depending on who wins or loses, they would play either Wichita State or Davidson in the next round. On the other side of it, you've got Alabama, Virginia Tech, um, some other decent teams. Yeah, this, that's that's why these uh, holiday tournaments or pre-Thanksgiving tournaments are important to, uh, to, to figure out kind of where you stand where you play the three games three days or three games and in, in four days type of scenario and uh, I think over the years Purdue has learned a lot even when they've even last year and some other years when they've had more experience they've learned a lot from those tournaments well I think last year it was, it was a real eye-opener eye-opener obviously when they got down to the Bahamas and thought they were gonna just march into this you know it wasn't a matter of whether they were going to get to the finals. It was who was going to be waiting for them there in a pretty talented field. Everyone thought it might be Arizona was going to be this big clash. And then they ended up playing Arizona for seventh <laughs> place and then blowing them out, which it was, it was, it was a bizarre few days of basketball down in the Bahamas. And um, we're getting a little bit, you know, I, 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 I agree with you. I think these, these early games and, and ball state's not a team you can really take lightly. I think, I mean, Taylor person's a really good player. As we'll talk to, Ryan about here in a minute. Um, they knocked off Notre Dame last year. They, I don't think they're going to be that intimidated coming into Macuina because I think they've come to expect being able to, to topple some of these other bigger in-state um, opponents. Um, but, yeah, that, that obviously is a step up, and I think it's it's this team is going to need those tests to sort of figure out some of the questions that they still have as far as 
who needs to be wearing a rotation, who needs to be getting more minutes than another guy. I mean, there's only so much that practice can tell you. Sometimes you have to kind of see it under the lights. The one thing I'm curious about in these early games is just because you've got a lot of new guys on the floor with Carson Edwards. That part of the, the equation, how they all blend together, is going to take some time. But will some of these new guys be caught maybe standing around That's watching Carson do his thing? Or is he going to make a point to get all these guys involved? Because the ball's going to be in his hands 90, 90 95% of the time. Yeah. And I'm just kind of curious how the new guys – blend in with that and you know and how painter views that and because you know eventually you can't have guys standing around watching Carson even though it's 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 great to watch uh and there's you know there's going to be times when he's going to have to do his thing when you get down to the end of the first half or the end of uh end of a game situation where he's got to take over but you know some of the guys that haven't played with him before or you know just watched him last year from the bench you know how do how do they get incorporated into the offense and you know, and how how that all all that chemistry comes together. It's funny you mention that because that's one of the things kind of on my list to, to watch a little bit more closely tonight. Because there's only so much you can see from even an exhibition scenario. Painter was trying to get a lot of guys in early and, and get kind of balance the minutes out to some extent. Especially the the, the outcome wasn't really in um, doubt against Marion in any way. And even even if it was, that's not the most important thing to get out of an exhibition game. But you're right. You know, there's two narratives there. One is how does Carson Edwards lead this team? And and that's something that's on him now in a way that it hasn't been on him before. Last year, Matt Painter sort of talked openly about how he he as an Edwards was still kind of coming along as how to play with so much other talent on the floor. I mean, there's there's so many other guys who could do good things for that team and his but he also plays his best when he has kind of a scoring first mindset and and creates off of that and so that was sort of a delicate balance that they they figured out last year well now it changes a little bit because he's clearly the most talented guy on the floor it's not that there aren't other guys that have talent on that team but now he he stands out a little bit more and they I think want him taking 20 22 whatever shots a game and being the focal point of this offense in a real way at the same time you're right and I I wondered that you know when when it's you know a couple other freshmen on the floor redshirt freshmen with him and it's guys who are new to this and it's it's um you're going up against one of those teams we are talking about next week is there a hesitancy or or do they have a tendency to to you know, back off a little bit and kind of let him run the show too much or, or, or just be too passive within things. And I'm sure that's something they've been trying to address in practice, but it'll be interesting to see how it works out during a game. I mean, the other element to me is how this team performs without him on the floor. Now, Painter's going to pick his spots in a smart way when he comes out of the game, especially in a close game. But just how this team kind of creates its second identity without him on the floor because he's, you know, at some point he's going to face some foul trouble. Uh, at some point, he's going to get double teamed to the to uh, to the extent where he's going to have to to give up the ball a lot. Um, I mean, I know he's going to play some heavy minutes, and he should. And I think last year proved he could handle it. But he's you know it's a different kind of minutes this year because there's just so much attention on him. But you know how do how do they perform when he's not when he's not out there? And um, you know, and that's that. That to me, that's another curious thing. And you know, this season, in in many ways, evolves around Carson Edwards when he's on the floor and when he's off the floor. 
uh, just how this team just reacts. I actually think that's probably not going to happen. It's going to happen as little as Matt Painter can get right. away with. It's going to be if there is already a big lead in the first half, maybe you get him an early um, seat going into halftime. Um, obviously, if there's a foul trouble situation, he'll have to sit. But otherwise, I think it's more about getting him out of the game as early as possible in games where you can do that. And uh, But at the same time, you know, I, I wrote – a couple, it's been a month or so ago now about just sort of his off-season conditioning, how he approached it and why. And one of the reasons is because I think he knows he has to shoulder this load. And, you know, Matt Painter said something along the lines of, you don't worry about him getting worn out. You think of him more about how he's going to wear out the opposition because he's just so tenacious and he's 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 as, while he isn't the tallest guy, he still has a real physical presence on the court relative to his position and just how you know, built he is and how he, how he approaches the game. And that is going to be something though, that we haven't seen this really from a Purdue team in a little while where you had a guy, a guard who was going to be that 35, 38 minutes a game, like really however much they can get away with, with him. Um, and in games, you know, those bigger games, those closer games, I think you're going to see him, you know, push 40 minutes as often as he can, just because Purdue needs him in the game and because I think he can also handle it. I mean, I think he, I don't think that's necessarily pushing him beyond his physical limits. Now the question is in a situation like Charleston next week where you're playing, you know, back-to-back games and three games in four days, that becomes a, a factor you have to take into account too. Well, the other part of it is too, when he comes out of the game, whether it be at the 10 minute mark of the first half or whenever, does that next group extend the lead? Right. Can they what what are they, what are they doing to make sure if if Carson Edwards comes out of the game with a ten point lead, and then when he comes back in, is it still a ten point lead or is it a five point lead or is it a fifteen point lead? I mean, those those things I think are will would be interesting to track just to see how that I don't want to call them the second group, but the non Carson Edwards mm-hmm. group, <laughs> and you know who takes his spot and how do things how does the offense run from sta- that standpoint and. Uh, do you do you lose some things defensively without him on the floor? So, you know, it, it's just kind of curious because there are there are going to be periods of time where you're going to have to play without him. As you know, as we mentioned, foul trouble or or something else, uh, an ankle tweak or mm-hmm. just you know just uh, just basketball. Yeah, just basketball things that happen. And um, I, I think it's it's important that this team learn to play without him uh, because you're going to get in a big game and he may foul out with three and a half minutes to go and you're on the road in the big 10 somewhere and you've got a three or four point lead that you're trying to protect, you know, and how does this team, how does this team do it? I think we know how they play with him on the floor and you'd want him on the floor all the time. But I I think you kind of have to prepare yourself a little bit that uh, having a good, a good team or a good, you know, uh, being able to play well without him is important. I think there's going to be and there's going to be times where just stabilizing through that period is going to be enough probably because it's going to be brief in a lot of times but if you can just stabilize through that and not have it turn the other way on you and have the other team saying oh that's where we get to you know take our shot and have have their chance to go on some well, I think kind of last run. year you know there were times it's in the 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 handful of games that I watched you know in person is that okay they subbed out Isaac Haas for whatever reason and they had a eight nine point lead or whatever. And then the lead got to five. Boom, you know. Right. Uh, we have Matt puts uh, you know Isaac back in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how 
how quick will he be with that kind of trigger with with Carson this year? But there were also times where you put in Matt Harms, and all of a sudden he's a because he's a different kind of player, a different kind of defensive player, especially that could spark its own kind of run. Right. So Purdue, Purdue has to find that. It's just asking – you're not necessarily asking someone to be Carson Edwards. You're just asking him to be a good version of whatever they are and, and using that to their advantage. And that's going to take time because you do have right. a lot of young guys and and guys that just haven't played this kind of role. And, you know, you need a guy like Nojel Eustern to really elevate his play this year and, and show improvement from last year because he can be that – that second best player on the floor with Carson. And when he's not on the floor, he could be the best player uh, on your team on the floor for that moment. Well, and someone like Eric Hunter too, it, it, they, they see real potential in him. They like the player he's going to be. It's just a matter of how soon does he get there? I kind of wrote about that a little bit today where when you're a freshman coming in, you know, every, everybody's getting on you about, you know, playing hard and, and going, you know, full speed all the time and really, you know, getting after it. But you have so much to learn that that can be hard to do. You're, you're thinking too much out there. And I think both him and Trevor and Williams are, are coming along in that regard. But they both have flashed out there. You know, in the exhibition, Hunter had, I think, five assists and no turnovers, which is a you know, obviously a, a, a great ratio that they'd love to have all the time. Trevor Williams is big and is a real – even though he's lost 40-some pounds since he got on campus, which is crazy in four months – um but he's that's he's, what i need exactly <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna try to follow that plan too although it, i fortunately i'm not starting from 315 that does sometimes make it a little bit easier to get down to 270 i guess but um but you know he's he, he's a real presence on on the boards and i think that's one reason why if if, if it became a who helps us more this year and who needs to redshirt that decision between him and and duona probably made more sense to for williams in an all-around sense, but also specifically because you know you can put him on the floor and he will rebound. Like, there's no question. He can he can rebound right now. He's physical enough to do it right now. So, um, you know, one of the other guys to keep an eye on is Ryan Klein. I have a feeling that, you know, if people have been watching, they, they've taken notice now. I mean, he had a big game against West Virginia in the secret scrimmage. He had a, another big game against uh, Marion in the exhibition. Um, hitting a lot of threes and, and really kind of coming alive there. But I think the more important thing for him was you're seeing him do a lot of, I would call him Dakota Mathias things that are not involved with shooting. And that's just the way that he, you know, his, his action around screens, the way he passes the ball, um, the just just being a smart player out there and, and being a guy that, yeah, he'll take those open shots and, and sometimes even tougher shots when they're there, but the ball doesn't stick in his hands. He's he's he he want his main thing this year is he knows he can shoot and I think he knows everyone else knows he can shoot. He wants to prove himself as a facilitator in this offense, which at times is what this offense is going to need even more than it needs him hitting threes. Well, he's going to have to you know get the ball to Carson. He's going to get the ball to some of these other guys and, and and allow Carson to play off the ball on on some possessions. And you know the more well rounded he can become, I think then you're going to see a you know a step offensively that this team probably needs to take and he needs to be a threat beyond yeah as you said everybody knows he can shoot threes and he knows he can shoot threes and they scout him to shoot threes but what's the counter to to shooting threes and you know last year with all the other guys on the floor when he came in you know he had some he had some good looks because they had to defend everybody you know this year you're looking at trying to Shut down Carson Edwards, but everybody else is not really a proven commodity yet. As those other guys become proven proven guys, then um, you know Klein's going to get more shots. 
in more attempts to, to really make some, some big plays. The last year when Purdue played Fairfield, which it's kind of odd that you get these kind of non-conference games twice in, in back-to-back years, but last year when they played Fairfield at Mackey, it was right before they went to the Bahamas, and they hit 19 threes, which was a school record at the time until they broke it later in the year against Iowa. And, you know, it was one of those defenses that I think set up kind of perfectly for Purdue to do that against here, where, you know, it's a switching man-to-man, but they also played some, like, matchup zone. And when Purdue was really crisp as far as moving the ball, getting it in and kicking it back out, they're just going to feast on a, an offense or a defense like that. This year the question is, do people like – Matt Harms, Evan Boudreaux, are they the kind of presence inside that forces teams to pay them extra attention? You're probably not going to ever get double teams the way you did against Swanigan and Haas because I don't know that either of these guys are, are that kind of physical presence. But if, if they can, it, it's more about just the offense as a whole. Are you getting it inside? Are they executing? Um, are they making teams pay when they have to go to the free throw line? That's going to open up some more of those opportunities on the perimeter too. Yeah, those uh, harms and the inside guys are going to have to prove that they can. You know, they're going to they're going to have one on one matchups a lot because I, I don't anticipate a lot of double teaming uh, coming from the other post or some in a, another spot on the floor to because you know why would you why would you double team Matt Harms right now? He's going to have to prove that he can he can win the one on one matchups. Once he starts doing that, then you'll see more double teams and then. He has to become that that passer, and the and the guy that know it sniffs out the double team before it gets there. It was a lot of discussion in the off season, you know, by me, but a lot of people about Harms's perimeter shot coming along. It's something he really used more when he was overseas. Um, I remember I wrote a story one time, and he one of his coaches talking about there was a game where he hit like six threes in a some kind of a national tournament game in Spain. So, you know, he's, he's had that potential just didn't really make a lot of sense with last year's mix to have him taking shots instead of pretty much anybody else he would have been on the floor with at the time. And that's not a knock against him. He was the first one to, to admit it, I think. And, and I think that's going to be a wrinkle this year. He took a couple threes the other night that he didn't make, but they weren't out of the offense. They weren't out of rhythm. I think, you know, he'll start he'll keep taking open shots and there's gonna be nights where he hits a couple of them and it's a boost for this offense. But I think the bigger thing and something he's kind of out to prove this year is that he can be that sort of true five presence still inside that this team is gonna at the end of the day, it's gonna need. It, it, you still need kind of that anchor to to score in the post for you. Yeah, I mean it should really be uh it's last year's team was was interesting to watch and fun to watch. But this year's team probably has more intrigue as far as how things really develop. Who steps up? You know, can Eric Hunter be be that guy and, and find some consistency by Big Ten season? And you know, a lot of other guys. So I think there's more there's more intrigue. I think with this team, yeah, and where where it goes as opposed to last year's team, where you knew where it needed to go. It was just a matter of if they could get there or not. I felt like last year's storylines coming into the year were almost already set in stone. Like so many guys were already just established in the roles that they were going to have, whether that was the five starters, whether that was Ryan Klein. I mean, you just knew who all those guys were. The only differences were maybe the, and then even Carson Edwards was more about whether he'd get to his closer to his ceiling, and he did. He had an obviously a great season, and maybe the one exception was Harms, who we didn't know as much about coming into the season because he hadn't been able to participate fully in the summer. And then he sort of took off. But you're right. This year, um, a lot of things that I think, you know, we still don't really know. I mean, the starting lineup, uh, Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein, Noah Eastern, 
Grady Eifert, Matt Harms. That's what they've used in the preseason. I assume that's what we'll see again tonight. Um, you know, the first guys off the bench the other night, I, I believe, were Hunter and Wheeler. And then um, Boudreaux was coming in after that at the f- at the five for Harms. Um, he'll get time at both the five and the four. But I, I still don't know. Maybe in the long run, they hope that he develops to where he could he would be the guy who getting more of the minutes at the four. But they also really like what he does at the five and being able to have that combination there of of forty minutes between him and and Harms. Um, it, it's one of these years where I also think that people should maybe not pay too much attention to the starting lineup because it's going to vary a lot more than it has in the last couple of years because um, because kind of they can. I would look at it more of, as a feature than a, a problem because it, it allows Matt Painter to be more versatile and and to kind of adapt on a night-to-night basis if he needs to. Well, who who does he turn to, you know, not, not, not necessarily at the end of games, but when you get – you know, when you start the second half, right? Uh, or if you do, when you do get in a tight game, who who's he turning to uh, at that point? And that's, and I, you know, I think that's going to change a lot. That's going to that's going to be uh, an evolution for this team that may not, may really not truly get figured out until you get into the meat of the Big Ten schedule and you do start paring it down just a little bit after that. But I would I would expect a, a lot of bodies in these. Uh, especially this week and as um, as you get a little bit deeper in the non-conference season. And I think, yeah, I think it's more important than who's, who are the five that start the game. I think Painter is probably paying a lot of attention and analyzing his whole staff, analyzing how different groups of five play together and in which of those mixes are, are being the most positive over a long period of time. And, and, and kind of that helps you really decide who's getting minutes and, and where they're getting them and how they're getting them. So, um, like I said, um, obviously the season starts tonight. If you're listening to this on Tuesday against Fairfield, if not, if you're listening to it later, go to JC online. I probably wrote a lot about that game. Um, and we're going to look ahead now to Saturday ball state comes to Mackey arena. Uh, Matt painter, a, a Muncie native getting to coach against his old hometown team. I suppose you would say. Um, and I brought on Ryan O'Gara from the Muncie star press to tell us a little bit about the Cardinals and, and what to expect from them. And so listen to that and then come back. We're going to talk a little Purdue football going into Saturday against Minnesota. We are joined today on Boilers Extra by Ryan O'Gara from the Muncie Star Press, part of our extended USA Today network family here in Indiana, obviously. Um, Ryan covers Ball State for the the Star Press, and I see Purdue plays on Saturday night. So those of you watching the the football game on ESPN2 can switch over to BTN and watch – an in-state college basketball clash on Saturday afternoon. Ryan, how's it going? Doing great, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Maybe you could just start us off uh, with an overview of the Cardinals. What what are they about? And uh, just sort of generally, what are they going to bring to the floor on Saturday night? Yeah, Ball State returns a good chunk of its core from last year's team, which went 19 and 13. Um, beat Notre Dame, but ultimately ended the season way earlier than it thought it would. Lost in the first uh, game of the MAC tournament. Um, they have four starters back, um, led by Taylor Persons. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about. They have two transfers who are eligible this year uh, from the SEC: Brecken Hazen and uh, KJ Walton, who sat out last year. And so it's a team that uh, may be a little bit short on outside shooting, but it should be long and athletic and uh, 
plays some pretty good defense. It's, it's expected to be a pretty solid rebounding team. And uh, so, yeah, it should be interesting to see how they can uh, go into a team, go into a, an arena that's uh, against a team much bigger than them and um, that's probably a little bit more talented, but uh, they certainly held up pretty well last year against Notre Dame. Yeah, like you said, last year, you know, knocking off Notre Dame was a, a result I think, you know, caught some people's eye. Do you get the impression that this is a, a game that a program like Ball State kind of circles on their calendar, either because it's in-state, because it's a Big Ten team? I mean, do they – anything you hear around the team even already that they, they get up for a game like Purdue? They definitely do. I mean, there's no question. I think – I think they get up for any sort of a top 25 game. It's, it adds a little extra to it. Um, but definitely being an in-state team, like Ball State has a ton of guys that grew up here in Indiana, a ton of former Indiana All-Stars. So, you know, I'm not sure how many of them grew up Purdue fans per se. Um, but obviously Purdue, IU, Notre Dame, those types of programs are the types you grew up watching on TV. And a dream of playing against them, either for them or against them. Um, and just in talking with Trey Moses, you know, he had talked about really wanting to play in that Purdue game. He called it one of the fun games of the year. Um, and they actually played Virginia Tech the following game. So he had definitely wanted to play in those sorts of games. So it's definitely not just a, another game for them. You know, they don't play particularly often. Um, it's not like they're playing them every single year. So it's, it's definitely a game for them to get excited about. You mentioned Moses. He's coming off of injury, right? Like what is his status and what do, what can Purdue fans expect to see from him on Saturday? Yeah, he had a knee surgery. It was considered pretty minor knee surgery about four weeks ago. And uh, I think it was on his Oh, geez, now I'm getting mixed up with with Riley Neal's knee injury in football, <laughs> um, but it, it, it was it was elective. I mean, he could have waited and had it after the season, um, but he decided to have it early on in the preseason in hopes that by January, you know, he's feeling great from that play and can focus on trying to get back to the NCAA tournament. He would have had to have it at some point, um, so really he missed all of the official preseason practice, so he was working out in the spring and the summer. Um, and so he might play, the talk is that he might play tomorrow night. And last year he started out um, with a hamstring injury and he only played about 10 minutes. And uh, Ball State coach James Whitford has said, if he plays Tuesday, it won't just be 10 minutes. It'll be a much more significant role. So they aren't anticipating him being too slowed down by it early on, whereas last year with his hamstring it was just a really slow process working him back. And he eventually made third-team All-Mac last year and had a, had a pretty good season, but it was just really slow to start out with. But, so he's kind of like a, a point center almost. They like to run things through him, get him involved in the high post. He can pass um, pretty well. You know, I, I've always said that if a Ball State player gets a triple-double, I think it'll be him. So... Um, you know, the Ball State player that Purdue fans maybe are most familiar with is Taylor Persons, um, not only because he's from central Indiana, but because he's, you know, he's had some kind of viral game-winning exploits here the last couple of years. And on top of all that, he almost came to Purdue. I mean, there was a process where he was on the verge of coming here. He had visited here. They're, I don't know that they ever actually got to the point where they could extend him a scholarship because they were waiting to find out what would happen with Caleb Swanigan. And then, 
ultimately Swanigan came here and um, Persons went on to Ball State. And I think it's, it's worked out pretty well for everybody. But um, what makes him so tough and, and you know, what, what does he bring to this team that makes him better? First off, I, th- I think it's really just his mentality. I mean, he's kind of got this bulldog sort of mentality. It's He's always had it from the time he was at Kokomo and he played football at Kokomo. And, um, you know, he just kind of plays like not exactly like you see a lot of basketball players play, just in terms of he loves to use his size. Um, you know, he, he played last year at about 225 pounds. He lost about 30 pounds. So I'm kind of interested to see how, if he changes up his game at all, but he loves to use his body. Once he has an opening, you know, he's really good at using his body to get to the basket. He's definitely not the quickest guy in the world, um, but he really knows angles. Um, and so if he, if he gets a little bit of an advantage on you, he's going to be able to use his body and you're not going to be able to catch up without fouling. Uh, he's very crafty in that sort of a manner. Um, but really his mentality is just, is such that he, he loves having the ball in his hands and being the guy to, to take those big shots and, yeah, he, you're right. He did go kind of viral. Um, last year, just he hit two game winners in one week against Notre Dame and then against Valparaiso. He had another one later in the year against Bowling Green. Um, and really, he kind of bails them out when they really don't have a ton going on offensively. He kind of creates his own shot. So um, he's definitely the leader of the team. There's no doubt about it. So I'm, I was reading your season preview for the Cardinals, and what is it that they have been in the NCAA tournament since 2000. Why do you think this could be the year that this team breaks through there and gets that MAC um, representation for the big dance? Part of the reason is, is him. I think in basketball in general, having a good point guard is is so important. Having good guards is so important in general. Um, but having someone with his sort of attitude, his confidence, is, is definitely pretty critical. Other than that, though, this team is, is very athletic for a MAC team. I think they have well, two of the best athletes in the conference. K.J. Walton, who went to high school at Brownsburg, then was at Missouri. He actually started part-time for about two years at Missouri, left after the coaching change, sat out last year. He'll be one of the best players this year. And then Tajay Teague, the fans probably have heard of that last name, his um, his cousins, uh, Marcus um, and Jeff, sure. um, both played in the NBA. He went to Pike, six foot nine. You know, he's a lot of Mac players just can't stop him when he gets a full head of steam. I mean, there's it's just not that sort of caliber of athlete. Um, so they got athleticism. They got Bracken Hazen, uh, the transfer from Arkansas, who's also, you know, a very good athlete for a big guy. Um, and so they just have a, a lot of different athletes. Um, all over the floor, and so it, it's not going to be easy. I mean, Buffalo is a really good team. Beat Arizona in the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to return three of the top four players. Going to be a really good team again. So, you know, I think aside from Buffalo, I, I, I believe Ball State's the best team in the league. Um, but obviously, it's a one good league, so it's it's not going to be easy to get back to the tournament, but they're certainly capable, I think. Well, and obviously, you know, for any team in that situation, you really value your opportunities to knock off a team like Purdue and, and help your um, what would be, I think, a tough at-large bid to try to make, but but one they would try to make nonetheless, and that would certainly help them. Yeah, if you win in, in a place like Mackey, I mean, that 
that goes a long way. And no, no offense to to Notre Dame, but as a as a football school, and it always will be. And uh, you know, I was at the, the Notre Dame game last year, and you know, it was a good atmosphere. And the fans just aren't as into basketball, in my opinion, as they would be the football game. And from what I've, I've never been to a game at Backy, but from what I've heard, I mean, it's a terrific atmosphere. And I don't know how much they get up for a, a Ball State game, and that's early in the season, um, but. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a different sort of atmosphere. Yeah, they uh, it, it gets pretty intense over here, and it, it looks like uh, Tuesday night uh, opener against Fairfield is almost a sellout. I don't know what the um, Ball State situation will be. Um, this is also a football game that day, although it's a road football game up at Minnesota, so um, maybe a pretty big crowd that day too. So um, just a good weekend of in-state uh, basketball. You know, Purdue always seems to get these in-state guys on their schedule at least one per year and um this is, i think it's the first time i've seen them play ball state since i've been covering the team but obviously mount painter being a a, a muncie guy there's a connection there too yeah yeah it, it's pretty neat and as we were kind of talking about beforehand I mean, he, he grew up an iu fan i think and mm-hmm. i haven't seen too much of him around here at all or heard too much other than he went to delta high school um i know the the connection with the Luce family and Tommy Luce. Um, Tommy's uncle, I believe his uncle Matt, coaches uh, high school basketball at Wapahani mm-hmm. and is pretty well known around here. Um, so I'm sure they're going to be at the game, which will be pretty cool for them. Absolutely. Well, thanks all for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be following you along as uh, preparations for this game unfold this week. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Thanks, Ryan. Well, that should cover the first week of the Purdue basketball season. And looking ahead to Saturday, Purdue football still going strong, obviously, back uh, on the road again up to Minnesota. I'm not going to be there to record the postgame podcast. I'm a little bummed. It breaks the, the streak we have going on here. Well, based on the weather forecast, you might actually be warm. <laughs> uh, yesterday was the high Saturday. It's supposed to be 29 Oof. in uh, Minneapolis. I, I don't think it's going to be much warmer down here, but – when you're in Minnesota, it just feels colder. <laughs> I've only been stranded an extra night on two Big Ten road trips ever. Both of them were to Minnesota. Right. Now, in Minnesota's defense, in Minneapolis's defense, it wasn't because of how cold or snowy it was there. It was because of problems in Chicago or I-65 had frozen over like a hockey rink or, or whatever the problem was. But, uh, yeah, it gets a little chilly up there. Yeah, and that's, that's probably part of the challenge that uh, – that the Boilermakers face this week. They're going to have to deal with some weather adversities that they haven't dealt with. And, um, you know, Jeff Brom said yesterday they'll try to practice outside as much as they can, but cold here is not cold there. And it won't, you just have these, these are, these are kind of the mentally challenging games that in the past we've seen this program not do very well in, but we also haven't seen this program at this point of the season with a chance to, to become bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they, if they do, I think it's the first time since 07 that they've, um, would be able to be bowl eligible this early in the season. The last, you know, last times that they've become bowl eligible last year and then 2012 and then 2010 or 11, whatever year that was, it came down to the last, uh, last game against Indiana where it determined whether they were bowl eligible or not. So they have a, a lot on the line and 
you know, this, this, the weather part's going to, you know, something they have to overcome. Obviously, they have to overcome Minnesota uh, right. a little bit. and uh, But this is a game uh, that, that Purdue should win. I mean, there's just, I don't think there's any question about it, the way they're playing, um, the way that their offense is, is clicking. And, you know, the weather will pose a little bit of problems there. But this might be a, a week where they – they get a little bit healthy in the run game and and put up some numbers and control the clock and and uh, get out of there with a win. You know, obviously Minnesota's had its issues this year. Purdue's already gone on the road twice in the Big Ten and beaten teams, but those also were Nebraska, Illinois, um, teams that have their own issues. And th- this seems like it could be a, a tougher matchup in some ways. It's not because Minnesota's any better, but it's things like what's at stake. It's like things like what's – um, what you're talking about with the the potential, you know, adversity of the weather, those sorts of things, um, and and on top of that, it's a little bit unpredictable. Minnesota just fired its defensive coordinator, and you don't know exactly what that means in terms well, of how they approach you on I mean, you Saturday. Can't, you're not going to change the scheme. Right? You're not going to put in a whole new playbook. They'll probably make some subtle adjustments, and maybe the goal is just to get the guys to play harder. Right. And so, I mean, you're going to have to uh, withstand some of that emotion early in the game. You know they might be more aggressive than they have been in the past, um, but it's you're bringing Jeff Brom's offense up there to a team that just allowed more than 600 yards to Illinois. That that should not end well for 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 Minnesota, regardless who the defensive coordinator. Right. But just as a point of reference, Missouri did this last year before Purdue visited Columbia and Purdue won 35 to three. Not saying the same thing is going to happen, Correct. but I mean I, I think it's an interesting. You know what? What kind of goes into the the whole dynamic of a, of a team when you make an in season coaching change? I tried to ask Jeff that yesterday. He's he was on the Illinois staff, but they made that change at the end end of the year. But still, there's a lot of internal things that go on, and you know Purdue probably is now preparing just for about everything, not mm-hmm. just what they've seen on film, but just now you're now you're just searching for things to start to worry about because you just don't know. Uh, exactly what they're going to have, and um, so. I, but I think as we've seen that that, uh, that Jeff Brom and the staff are, are quick to make adjustments. Like last week when Iowa was playing the run on first and second down, and um, they, you know, that's what the offensive linemen were telling the coaching staff, and that's what the coaches were seeing. So I decided to to go go all out and start pushing the ball downfield on the early downs, and it really it really paid off, and you know, probably caught Iowa off guard uh, a little bit where Purdue got all its big passing plays uh, on first and second down. And, you know, they scored nearly all their touchdowns on first and second down through the air. And um, so Purdue fans should feel confident that whatever Minnesota throws at them early, that uh, they'll be able to to adjust and, and figure out a way. That's obviously been kind of the mantra of this team ever since going back to, I guess, the Missouri game that you know, it's it's got to be just aggressive all the time. You know, the defense has to be more aggressive. They were even saying that after the Michigan State loss. You know, the offense has to just be attack first at all times. And it, I thought it was interesting that after somebody asked Jeff Brom about that 0-3 start after the Iowa game, and he said, well, that's on the coach. The coach wasn't being aggressive enough so I'm, I'm wondering do you do we need to take that into account as we evaluate David Blau a little bit more going forward because with a more aggressive um, approach that does sometimes lend itself to riskier decisions it sometimes lends itself to 
to more turnovers and things like that. I mean, is it does that need to be a factor as you look at the job that he's doing here going forward? You're talking about David? Yeah. Well, uh, yes and no. Uh, the interceptions he had last week, I, I don't know if it was because he was too aggressive. Uh, you know, the one he just threw up for grabs. Right. And the other one was he threw into double coverage. That was returned for a touchdown, but called back right. because of a holding penalty. So I, I don't, I don't know if that's on the coaches as much as that was on on David. And you know, if you take away those two throws, you, he almost had a perfect game mm-hmm. when you when you look at it. Um, you know, the ones at Michigan State, he had the, the the fluky interception that the Hopkins one, yeah, the Hopkins that he got knocked out, and then the ball right. just sitting on his lap, and the guy right. picks it up and gets a gets an interception his other two interceptions were were on him mm-hmm. uh yeah i'm not trying to absolve jeff brahm of any of this but mm-hmm. i mean if you if you really go back i mean this you know if Sindelar doesn't get hurt the wednesday before missouri game this is Sindelar's offense right. and right. this is and is he doing the same things i think he would be i think um you know i really i really firmly believe that and i was kind of kind of waiting to see if we would see Sindelar get this new aggressive approach because he, you know, he, he started the season, he won the job fair and square. Uh, but then he had, you know, two bad interceptions against Northwestern and Jeff had to make a change mm-hmm. to, and things really didn't become settled until, uh, to the Missouri game. But David has, has taken it and run with it. He's taken with that philosophy. And I think Jeff's just, you know, Jeff's, uh, Jeff's played the position. He understands what all goes into it. And he, he's, he has, I'm not going to say he's thrown his players under the bus like other coaches continue, continually do. Uh, but he does point out when they, you know, with the penalties and the mistakes that they've made, but he also, he is quick to shoulder the the responsibility of what happened uh, early in the year and what happens during the, during the course of a game. And it's not just, well, well, it was the coach's fault. And I, I think there's some, some thought and some meaning behind what he's saying. He's not just saying it to say it. I think he firmly believes that he is. I think he's a pretty uh, tough self-critic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think he, and he listens to, you know, there's people on that staff that he truly listens to. And there's, um, you know, he's got other people on a support personnel that he, that he listens to. And he's, he's open. He's open to ideas. It's not, he has one way of doing it and that's it. He is, you bring him an idea or a play, and he looks at it. It's like, yeah, that can work. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> and that's kind of the beauty of him. And the beauty of the other beauty of him is that he wears his he'll wear his warts on on the sleeve. He'll he'll step mm-hmm. up even when saying that uh, even though he gets in the moment on the sidelines and he's ready to chew on an official's butt, right? And he, you know, but after the game, he's like, I I can't do that. You know, that's not, that's not something that he can afford to do. Right. And he, he recognized that. It's not going to stop him from going after an official down the line. Right. But maybe he doesn't, maybe he pulls back or who's ever in charge of him pulling back keeps him, keeps him on the side. We need to get a coach on him to, to pull back the way they do on. Uh, yeah. With Nick Holt, they, he's got his own guy that pulls him back. And I, I think the, Jeff's pullback guy would be his brother Greg, who's <laughs> who's always seemed to be nearby. Or who knows, Brady might be <laughs> Brady might be right there. Oh, that would as be an well. interesting dynamic. <laughs> um, 
special teams were a, a an issue at, at Michigan State, and it wasn't like one catastrophe. It was just like a bunch of little things piling up. And in different ways, I thought you thought you saw kind of the same thing happening against Iowa. Now, the Hawkeyes are a really strong kickoff return unit. Um, they're up near nationally, not just in the Big Ten. And Purdue has been one of the lesser teams in the Big Ten this year. How much of that do you think is a reflection of just the depth in the program, something that, that still needs to be built? Because a lot of times those aren't necessarily your starters who are out there doing that. It's guys who that's their role um, as they're trying to prove that they can do something else. But they're they're also sometimes not your frontline athletes for a reason. Well, and sometimes they are your starters. and, and Which can be its own problem. Which I think it is its own problem because you're, you're, you're splitting their duties. You're not they're not solely focused on being a receiver or being a defensive back or being a linebacker or being a tight end. They have these extra duties of being, um, being on special teams. Not that they can't handle it. It's just, I think when you look at programs like Michigan state and Iowa and uh, Ohio state and you know, the better, the, you know, the top level programs, uh, not only the big 10 in the country, a lot of their special team guys don't are not starters at another position. And, yeah, but this this has been Purdue's history for for a long time. Just because you don't have a lot of quality depth in the program, you, you know, you go back to Joe Tiller. It's kind of the same way where you had to use some of your frontline people on special teams. You're going to use a Rondell Moore on special teams. Well, I mean, there's right. just no <laughs> there's no other way around it. But when you you know Jared Sparks is on special teams, and you, you just you, these are your better athletes. These are your these are the guys that can make plays for you, or you trust to make plays for you in that situation. And, um, you know, as the longer Jeff stays here, this seems to be a weekly conversation. You know, I just have to qualify, like, <laughs> how long he's going to be here. But, uh, you know, as, as he builds up more depth and you get more guys, um, you know, comfortable in their roles and you figure out who can play and who can't play, um, then, you know, maybe you won't see the same faces all the time. But, you know, Iowa – led the nation in kickoff returns uh you know Purdue you know that, that that's a tough matchup for Purdue it doesn't mean they they should allow what they allowed but it's just you know sometimes you just you're just not going to win that battle be just because they've got better players there they and that's what those players do all week is special teams whereas Purdue guys have had to split their time a lot take us inside Minnesota a little bit what they do well and then what Purdue is going to have to do well against them. Well, last week they didn't do much well other than <laughs> the score was, <laughs> the score was really lopsided. And although the trend in the big 10 now is you get rid of your defensive coordinator and, and things really light up because Illinois got rid of its defensive coordinator, went up to Minnesota or Minnesota came down, they put a hurting on them and now Minnesota fired its defensive coordinator. Yeah. So maybe it just passes forward. Well, I hope PJ Fleck put more thought into it than that. <laughs> If not, I, I think he did. Uh, no, it's it's a team that has given up thirty or more points in eight straight Big Ten games, going back to last year, which leads to the decision of of making a change. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're not strong defensively. They've got they've got some guys that can get after the quarterback, but it's not a whole group. It's not like Iowa coming into the game where you thought you know that Iowa was like third in the Big Ten with sacks and. You know, their front four generated a lot of those sacks. You know, with Minnesota, you got one or two guys that that you really have to pay attention to. You you have to keep tabs on the other ones, but guys that have proven that they can they can do things. So, I mean, they're not strong defensively. They're just – they're not. And, you know, Purdue should be able to take advantage of that. And, 
you know, I'd expect them to try to come out and run the ball and and try to win win that battle of, of the line of scrimmage. Uh, they, they've played a couple quarterbacks this year, guys that are young, uh, inexperienced. Um, even though that you know they've gained some throughout the year, uh, you know they were able to hit some uh, big plays against Indiana. Um, that I know Purdue kept that tape when the slot guy was breaking off 50 and 60 yard runs. Yeah. You were picturing, oh, Rondell Moore can do that against Indiana as the defensive back was getting turned around almost on every play. Um, but it's it's not it, – I don't think it's an offense that really scares – should scare Purdue. Now, its defense will have to play well. I mean, all the, all the things that they need to do, they can't just walk out there and think they're going to stop them. Um, that's not how that's not how this works. But they they've lost some playmakers throughout the year to injuries, um, so it's it's not a scary offense. But it becomes a scary offense if you turn over the ball, if you don't do things right on special teams, if you give them great field position, and um, and you're doing things to hurt yourself. Purdue still has that small margin for error, regardless of who they're playing. But if they eliminate their own mistakes, this should be a this should be a comfortable win for them. So update people on where things stand because uh, Iowa plays Northwestern this week. Yes. So that's obviously the a chance for Northwestern to just put this thing away, and then Purdue would have to change its its um, you know focus a little bit, I guess, or just wouldn't wouldn't have to take that into consideration anymore. At the same time, if Iowa go, goes there and wins, and Purdue is able to win, how does that kind of set up these last two weeks? Well, the, it's it's pretty simple from Purdue's standpoint. They need to win out, and Northwestern has to lose two of the last three games. And that's that would get Purdue the West title. Because if Purdue wins out, they're going to beat Wisconsin, which knocks them mm-hmm. out of the out of the picture. Um, I guess the what could really change things a little bit if you know Northwestern did lose twice, but you know, I don't I guess not. I mean it's just it's pretty simple. Either Purdue or Wisconsin's gonna <laughs> end up could end up tied with Northwestern, and Northwestern owns the tiebreakers with them. Okay. I was just trying to run through the scenarios in my mind. I'm like, no, you in, can't. In the moment? <laughs> you probably, I mean, it, it'll be hard. The only way that I think there can be a multiple-team tie for the Big West title is if Northwestern just goes over. Hmm. Uh, and, or, you know, they, I guess they potentially could go one and two, and that, that still happened. But um, it's Northwestern's to lose. And Iowa's a 10-point favorite against them and should be. And it's probably a game Iowa should win, but Northwestern has a habit of hanging around and making a play at the end. You know, the key game, if if Northwestern would lose and Purdue would win, is that can Minnesota beat Northwestern and can Purdue beat Wisconsin? That that Or Illinois. Or Illinois. And you, know, you would think Northwestern would be able to handle Illinois, but, you know, if they get on one of those rolls like they did last week against Minnesota, that could – that could definitely change things. And, you know, Jeff, you know, talked to his team after the game about, you know, you're – you didn't come out really and say it, but, like, you know, you need to win to stay a contender. And, you know, it's on his mind. You know, the players are aware of it. I, you can't hide these things from players. They know where they're at in the standings. They know what's at stake here. And, you know, no one likes to – they don't like to talk about it because they think they, they jinx themselves, which is the furthest thing from the truth in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but you, you should embrace it. You should embrace the fact that you're coming up on a game on November 10th and you still have a chance to win the West. Or what if you just tie for the Big West title 
or Big Ten West title, and you don't go to Indianapolis, but still, you're you're going to get some sliver of a trophy mm-hmm. or some acknowledgement that you are you were Big West champions. And when <laughs> when they start zero three, it's like, oh, there's no way. <laughs> uh, it, it was the furthest thing think, from yeah. my mind was whether or not they could win a share of the Big Ten West. At that point, you're thinking. Can this team get to five wins? Yeah, I mean, you 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 were looking at a four and eight season. Yeah, I mean, potentially at that point, and now you're now we're in November. We're talking about Big West championships. I'm I'm not sure. I think whoever wins the West should just default and say, "Go ahead, give it to Michigan <laughs> or whoever you play on the other side." I mean, that that defense is so scary. You know, if you if if you know, this is a long way off, but if you are Purdue and you win the West and you're you're in the Big Ten championship game, who would you rather play, Michigan or Ohio State? <laughs> yeah i don't know i think it, it's tough because you've already beaten ohio state but uh they've they've already seen you up close i mean maybe there's something to be said for taking your one shot at michigan and trying to catch them i i think in this case it's just like okay Purdue's there whatever whatever happens right, i right. mean there's no there's nothing negative from a big picture standpoint that can come out of winning the west and playing in the big 10 championship game this year for purdue it, it's not going to not going to change it would probably winning the west probably elevates their bowl status if anything right because i think the loser of the the big 10 championship game can only drop so far whereas if you don't get there then there's a lot of other things that that could happen but yeah i mean they, they've got a lot of things to play for and um and you know it's you know the scenario is not impossible but uh it's not it's unlikely tough. either. It's I mean, tough. but you yeah. just you just you just never know. You can you just can't take things for granted, and that's and that's something Purdue can't take for granted either. Even though they're they're a double digit favorite at Minnesota, and they'll they'll probably be a favorite at home against Wisconsin, and probably be a favorite at Indiana. That uh, you know you're going to have to 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 own up to that and and live up to that uh, status. We'll see how that goes. Are you going to be bringing a, a Boilers extra post game? addition to our re- listeners after Saturday's game should they um I haven't decided yet okay <laughs> depends if I thaw out <laughs> all that kind of understood it's gonna be back stuff. back in the hotel room uh warming uh, up is is it still a podcast if it's one person sure okay so you're basically just talking to yourself yeah okay you can do you can do one man podcasts <laughs> I've, 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 I'm told you could probably find a, a guest around there just you know grab a, a TCF bank janitor or a <laughs> Uh, there's somebody there that can help you out, I'm sure. So, um, well, there, there you go. In, maybe tune back in Saturday night, early Sunday morning, or if not, we'll be back with you next. Uh, Check the uh, Twitter machine to see if there's a podcast. If you're if you're on that at okay. Carmen underscore JC, we'll, we'll tell you if there's going to be a Boilers extra that night, or you could just subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever format you use, and it'll come right to your phone. So. Thanks a lot for joining us, and we will, at worst, see you next week.